Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Frio Big Footy podcast. This week we'll have a very brief look over the finals win versus Sydney a couple of weeks ago, have a look at the ins and outs and then spend most of our time having a look at the big upcoming clash against the Hawks. We'll also celebrate the news of a couple of All-Australians for Frio, including a first-time debutee. Joining us is our usual resident Victorian expert, Seppo. How are you, mate? I am fantastic, and I'm just looking forward to this week of football. It's going to be fantastic. And also joining us all the way from LA, and I think it's about 2.20 in the morning over there, uh, stateside soccer. Gil, how are you, mate? Doing all right. A little bit of a mixture of uh, anxious and excited. Excellent. Fremantle got to the uh, home prelim after a sort of close, scrappy affair against the Swans, who certainly gave everything they had to it, but Fremantle managed to get the job done. And then last week we watched Hawthorne pretty much annihilate Adelaide, and you knew that they weren't going to be that poor again, Seppo, after the previous performance against West Coast when they didn't look anywhere near their normal selves. This week, Fremantle Friday night at home, if we're ever going to be a chance to beat the Hawks, this will be this will be the week, Seppo. Do you want to uh, have a quick look at the ins and outs for this week? Yeah, let's get straight into it. So from the side that played two weeks ago, obviously there was two late changes um, in that Sydney game where we dropped uh, Tabitha and McFarlane out. And um, from that game, we've made changes to bring Tabitha finally back in. And I think Ross admitted at the end of the um, game against Sydney that potentially with the weather that didn't come, should have played Tabner, that probably would have uh, straightened us up a bit. Um, Griffin comes back in, and Zach Clark goes out, and also Clancy Pierce comes out as uh, another omission. Sitting on the uh, interchange is um, emergency, sorry, is Clancy Pierce, Clark, and Silvani. And a uh, big milestone, um, obviously, is Chris Main playing his 150th. Going across to the Hawks, they've made no change, and they have a milestone as well. Brian Lake playing his 250th game. We always seem to have a bit of a uh, milestone game against us, but we've also got one ourselves. What do you think of the uh, changes, Gil, for this week? I was a little bit surprised to see that uh, that Alex Pierce wasn't included in some way. Um, and, you know, I hope it's in a situation where he's fallen out of favour. And then we know Ross's track record when it comes to not playing guys who are very young. But, but frankly, I was a little surprised at that. I, always, I was kind of holding out hope that Ryan Crowley would be the wild card, but, you know, that was always a long shot. And uh, so I guess uh, Ross is going with what he always says, is he plays who's available. And so he's obviously made that move. And so hopefully he's got some kind of strategy to counter Sam Mitchell and to keep him in check. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about that as well was Sam Mitchell played a pretty good, like, you know, his usual standard self against West Coast in the first half. And, if you know, if the rest of the guys aren't doing their job, you know, he, does, he you know, he looked... Didn't look as damaging as when he's, you know, when the rest of the side's up and running. What do you uh, think of the changes this week, Sebo? Um, I quite like the fact that we brought Tabitha back in because, um, as a thread that's been on our board for quite a long time now, and someone's been doing the stats, we are a better side with him in here. And you just have to look at his. Well, I suppose he's had a breakout game already, but the game he played against Port Adelaide sort of just shows, you know, when he's um, put in the spotlight and has a big role to play, that he's capable of it. And he certainly gives Pav a bit of a chop out, and we are a more accurate side, and we kick some more goals when he's out there. So I'm very happy for him to come in. I think Clark and Griffin swapping around, obviously we've seen different combinations of them over the course of this year. Um, there's pros and cons for each of them being out there. I think Clark's probably emissions a bit on form from last 
game, and I think Griffin's shown it is okay, and maybe it's just a matchup of the style of Ruckman that Hawthorne have with Hale and McAvoy, that Griffin might be the better chop out for Sandy. So I'd be happy with either, and I wouldn't care if uh, Clark was a late swap out if Griffin didn't recover from his injury. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with either of those. And um, sort of last man out, um, first man out with Clancy coming out for Tavener. So I'm uh, glad with those changes. And, and for what it does to our side, I think I'm not too concerned about McFarlane not coming in because... I think we've done all right without him in, in patches now. And I know Alex Pierce is not out there, but I think against Sydney's forwards with uh, Johnson, Dawson and Ibbotson, and Ibbotson plays tall, we'll be fine. Yeah, I would have... I think you know what you're going to get from Griff every week. You know he's going to put the effort in. I think Clark's highs are probably a little bit higher than Griffin's, but his lows, unfortunately, are probably a little bit lower. So it's whether you're going to take the average with what you know you're going to get from Griff every week or whether you want to sort of take a risk and get a little bit of a higher return with Clark or or conversely get a lower return depending upon how he is. And from all accounts, he wasn't 100% in that game either against Sydney, so that may have had an impact on their decision as well. What The other interesting point, you know, we've talked a lot about Mzungu and I think he's probably pretty lucky to hold his spot. Looking at, we always have a bit of a chat about the sub every week, boys. What do you... Uh, you know, looking at that side there, you'd have to think Tavener and Griffin are going to play, so it really comes down to DeBoer and Mazungu. I thought DeBoer played pretty solidly against the Swans, and I thought he played probably one of his better games of the year, actually. And yet Mazungu would probably, if you're going to play him, would be one of those guys who would play that lockdown role like I, that you talked about, Gil, with uh, Mitchell. And you know, Although it would be nice to see some of our younger players like Weller who can come on and give you a bit of a burst, we never really have played that style. Who do you reckon they'll give the uh, vest with on this one? I'll tell you what. If you're if you're uh, thinking about DeBoer and Mzungu, I mean DeBoer played really well against Sydney, and you kind of want him in that position because we have to apply that maniacal pressure against a side like Hawthorne. I think more so than than uh, than maybe a lockdown role. And I agree with you about Mzungu. He was kind of lucky to keep his spot. And when I was advocating for all I was on uh, Big Footy about Crowley coming in, it's Mzungu whose spot I would have thrown Crowley in for. Um, that being said, though, Mzungu has done a couple of big things this year when he has had limited time, I think, but that spoil against Sydney uh, in the home and away season very early on that really helped us win. Um, and the other thing, too, is about Tabner and about Clark and, uh, and Griffin. I'm happy to see Griffin come back, and I think you're absolutely right that with Clark, he's so athletic, but we've been waiting for so many years for him to realize his potential. And we have to start trying to really think about the fact now that he really may have reached his potential, unfortunately. I mean, with with seven goals in 14 games, it's not really, it's, it's not a big haul. And Griffin, you know what you're going to get with him. And Griffin has shown that he's a better marking forward and he has more uh, forward craft skills than, than Clark at this point. Although when Clark has been on, he's been great. And with tabs, I just wonder which tabs we're going to get. Are we going to get the one who created all those opportunities against Port? Or are we going to get the one that uh, spilled that sitter against Sydney in last year's qualifying final and really went on to have no impact? I think Tabs is one of those players, if you watch his games, he's a much stronger contributor early in the game. First quarter, he runs, I don't know whether he runs out of puff or whether he had, the second wind isn't there quite yet, but he's always leading well and he gives us a really good contest in the first quarter, quarter and a half, and then he tends to fade away. Maybe that's also partly due to the fact that Fremantle as a team tend to do that a little bit as well. So 
you know, we've talked about it for how long, Seppo, about trying to see that four-quarter performance, and hopefully this week we will get it. What did you think of the best situation, Seppo? Um, yeah, it probably it's a catch-22 with, obviously, DeBoer having a great impact on when he comes on the sub, and if you think Mzungu probably had the poorer game last time out of the two, do you, do you swap the roles around or say, all right, Mzungu, we're going to give you a role for the whole game and run with someone like Hodge or Mitchell, and then say, DeBoer, you're really good at this, you can come on and have an impact, you know, get your five or six tackles in the, the last quarter when you're on, or do you swap them around and say, all right, Matty, you've uh, earned the spot out of the vest, and thank God the vest is going at the end of uh, this year, but it would be um, either either. I think Mzungu's probably got the skills to run with a, a player all day, yet DeBoer's shown he has impact coming on. I can't see Mzungu having the same impact when he comes on, and I think even though the outputs would be similar... I'd prefer to probably see Mzungu play out the whole game and DeBoer come in and maybe even pull the trigger early, depending on, obviously, injuries, but give Matty more than just a quarter of footy out there. I think, going back to your earlier point as well, Gil, I think maybe the reason you can't go with Crowley, I don't think you could go with him, to be honest, anyway, without playing a year of footy, coming in in such a pressure cooker game. But the other problem as well, and I've heard some people say, well, you know, even if you're running for a half or you know two and a half quarters and then sub him out, the problem is if you get an injury early, then Crowley's got to play the whole four quarters. And whoever, they'll just move the matchups around so that Crowley, they just, and if I was coaching Hawthorne, I'd just be running Crowley up and down the ground non-stop for the whole four quarters. You know, put someone right. like and Isaac Smith and he, he's going to blow up. There's no question. There's no, no amount of running around the oval can match that sort of first match day fitness that you need. And I think that would be going into their thinking about why they couldn't go with Crowley. Um, but, you know, it, it would have been good for Crowley just to have one game, I think, in the home and away before the final started, just to, you know, give him a chance. But I think with no games, it's just about impossible for him. Well, sure. The other thing is, too, I'm just thinking this whole time about beating Hawthorne, is that it's going to take some kind of out-of-the-box thinking to make it work. I mean, they've had the Woodhams they've beaten the seven out of the last eight times. There's been no chance against them uh, at, in Tasmania. And I was just thinking there that if you if you try something crazy, sometimes crazy just might work. And I was hoping that somehow Ross would roll the dice, but he's not really that much of a wild card gambler as we've seen. And you make a great point about uh, about trying to run him up and down the ground. Hawthorne doing that. Um, interestingly, I watched the game last year that we beat Hawthorne on our home deck and Jordan Lewis got 44 possessions, and I noticed a lot of that was off half-back. Um, and then also you had um, Isaac Smith that uh, Crowley was sent to for part of the time and Mitchell for part of the time. So with Mzungu, though, I'm not sure about having him do a run-with role as much as bringing someone in like Subin who's got that hardness, but Subin, I don't know about his ability to run with someone the entire game. But um, I would much, but I think we do need that that edge there. And, and here's another another reason for that. When we were down in Tasmania, this this in the, in the early uh, home and away season, the thing that really bothered me, and you guys probably remember this, was when Nat Fife awkwardly spoiled uh, Durier, and then Lukács came over and started giving it to Fife, and Mitchell got physical with him either. And I just wondered where were our boys at all trying to defend Nat Fife or, co- or come to his come to his aid. Um, in that sense, because I think if Crowley had been in the lineup, I think he definitely would have been out there doing that. And I just, I'm a little concerned with Hawthorne and their ability to try and play that unsociable footy and intimidate us, especially with guys like Fife and with Hill. And they're going to need some of our guys to protect them. 
I think Subert is one of those guys, and I think we've probably seen it over the last couple of weeks that um, you know if there's a punch on on Subert is one of the first there. It could be in the forward pocket, and he be in the back line. He'd run you know 200 meters in a sprint to uh, get to a punch on and uh, <laughs> protect our other players. So. I think we've got that there with Subin. Whether you know Deboer and Mizugu sort of have that same type of uh, hard nose approach to protecting our players. What well, when I think about Freo and Hawthorne, nothing uh, brings uh, better memories than the um, footage of Sandlands taking on Puapolo after he uh, tried to do Sutcliffe over, I think, and um, that footage in the goal line is just uh, fantastic. So we do have some guys out there that like to step up for it, but I um, yeah, you don't want to see Mitchell and the others get straight into fight again and the same course of what happened down in Tasmania. Yeah. I think so do you, do you guys expect, like I do, that there are going to be some, uh, there's going to be a little dust up before the match when, when players are going to their positions? I'm expecting to see that. Oh, I, definitely. I, I don't think there'll be as much as you think, uh, Gil. The problem is that all their unsociable players, and we talk about the likes of Hodge, even if you want to conclude Mitchell, Lewis, Gibson, like they're all sitting on two or three uh, fines. One more indiscretion like Fife had against North Melbourne, and they missed the GF. So they can't mm-hmm. afford to go, you know, so even if they win, they can't afford to play too unsociable because any cheap shot, you know, cheap punch to the chest, you know, normally it'd be $1,000 if you've got no uh, prior record, but most of these guys are sitting on two or three fines, so they just can't afford to. Um, be careful with that. The other um, interesting point you talked about uh Gil before was the fact that Hawthorne's record is at seven of the last eight has been against us, but seven of those last eight as well have been away from home. So we have the last time we did play them at home, we did win. Well, I might, right. So oh, there might have been one other game out of those eight games, and that was probably three or five or six years ago. So you know, if, if you're looking at past form, it, the home ground is a massive advantage for us. Not just the fact that we've got the crowd there, but it's the, the dimensions of the ground. If you looked at when they played West Coast, Hawthorne love width. And if you play them at Tasmania or the G, they, they push the ball wide and they can use their skills to come back in. At Domain, and you saw West Coast do it a couple of weeks ago, they don't have that width. You can shut the game down a lot more. Than, and we showed that even last year by beating them by 19 points. So it is possible that you can get that sort of result as well. Definitely, definitely. And it was, it was good to watch that game again to really watch what we did right. And I remember in the third quarter after after watching it again this week about how Michael Johnson just got so many touches setting up play and he had a really fantastic game. Stephen Hill got off the chain and did really well. And then, of course, Pav uh, kicked a bag of five. And, you know, I, I did tweet about this that Pav is really due. He's really he's really due to kick a bag. It hasn't happened in a while. But uh, be no better time than now. I think the half the reason why we've probably been... Um Struggling, we haven't had Tabner in. And I think there's a lot of stats floating around of how good he's actually been when he's been out there. You know, we, we score on average, I think, 25 points a quarter when he's out there. And when he's not, it's about 12. So I don't know if there's a lot of correlations with, like you said, the end of the game and, and when he's subbed out and when we sort of take the foot off early season form. But he's definitely helps as a foil for Pav. He, I've had a look at his heat maps for the season compared to Pavlich. They play in... Similar sort of passages for the ground where Pav's more of a stay at home and, and centre forward where Tabner sort of gets up, gets on his bike and goes up and down the, the wings but still drifts in that set of, set of the 50. Um, he's going to do uh, amazing things for our forward line, I think, Tabner. We, we really struggled last week. Um, I know the wind was playing havoc and the rain wasn't exactly there against the Swans, but I think 
Tabitha is going to make himself and both Pavlich, uh, you know, almost a one or two goal game better player. Yeah. The other interesting one as well, Seppo, if we're just going to back to the ins and outs quickly, when Fremantle played Hawthorne down in Tasmania, we'll just go quickly through the ins and outs from that game. So for Fremantle, the ins from that game or who are coming into the side that weren't there in that Tasmania game is Zach Dawson, Michael Johnson, Cam Sutcliffe, Jonathan Griffin and Matt Tabiner. And the outs are Alex Pierce, Zach Clark, Paul Duffield, Clancy Pierce, and Luke McFarlane. So if you have a look at that side, you'd probably argue that McFarlane would be a walk-up best 18, but the others were probably fringe players, where you'd have to think probably out of the other ones that we've got in, I think Tavern is a first 18, and certainly Sutcliffe, Johnson, and Dawson would be first 18 players as well. And then for the Hawks, Roughhead and Frawley are ins, and Gunston and Spanger are the outs from that game. So a little bit to think there. The other interesting one, I think, for us as well, boys, and I'll get your thoughts on it, is that although you know there's all the talk about Mitchell and Crowley and that sort of thing, I think last week they showed how important Isaac Smith is. And I think Fremantle have to, particularly on the longer ground of uh, Subiaco, and he came, he had that knee injury when they played West Coast, so he was limited in his preparation. And last week he did kick three goals and gives him that impetus. I think he's one of those players we definitely have to look to shut down to give them that outside run. Who do you think will be the person for the job? Wow, that that is that is a real tough one on, on that. You know, countering speed and looking at uh, looking who our speed guys are and looking at Stephen Hill, I don't know if Hilly might be the man for the job. What do you think? I'll probably get a match-up on his brother at certain stages, but I think Sheridan's probably one that um, sort of plays off the half-back, and if Smith's running half-forward, he's certainly got the wheels to go with him. Um, I'm not sure if he'll, he'll probably get other match-ups on players like Hill and probably Shields as well, or Hartung if he's not the sub and he's, he's running up and down the wing. But Sheridan's one that I'm not sure if he's got the you know, 20-metre sprint to keep up with someone like Isaac Smith, but certainly running in a straight line all up and up and down the ground is probably one of, one of the players that we can um, utilise. Yeah. That, I mean, outside speed, and, you know, Daniel Pierce is obviously the other one who plays on the wing, and whether you play Pierce on Brad Hill or Isaac Smith, whether I think Stephen's probably got a bit more accountability in his game, but then you're sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul because we need him to deliver that ball inside 50 as well or whether right. you, whether you use him to run Smith out. Uh, it'll be an interesting matchup in terms... Do you think they'll go with Hodge on Fife again after the success they had in Tasmania with it? Oh, definitely. I think they're, they're probably going to try and get those midfield matchups and a lot of pressure put on Fife and probably test out his leg again. And you'll we'll probably see Mitchell and, and Hodge giving Fife a lot of uh, contact and pressure. And within the, you know, the rules of the game, they'll be um, making sure that he's held accountable. So it will be an interesting... Midfield battle. Now, did you did you have air quotes for that test out his leg, Seppo? Because I could see Mitchell trying to test out his uh, his leg again, uh, maybe with a little subtle contact and bump. What do you think? No, oh, you, you never know what's going to happen early on, and I know they, like you said before, um, it's well, you, you, they can't afford to do too much. But you think there will be other players. It may not be them, but they'll certainly is a, a close checking game on Fife, and they're not going to let him go because. If he is in that rest and he comes out firing, he can um, certainly do damage for us and they'll be looking to try and uh, limit his impact. Yeah, I think the other 
key player for them, who tends to go under the radar a little bit, is Sean Burgoyne. He's just like he's their quickest player over twenty meters. Even though you know you think of those other guys who have got those speed like Smith and Cyril, but Burgoyne's actually the quickest player they've got on their list or playing in this game who's over twenty meters. So he's just ability to get out and just use the ball so well. And he's another player that the likes of Mazungu or DeBoer will have to, I think, probably try to account, particularly if he's running off that half-back line or even more so running into the forward line as well. And I think over the last two weeks, I watched the um, both the Eagles and I went to the um, Adelaide Hawks game. I think out of the back line and the decision-making by foot, Burgoyne was probably one of the best. I know Birchall probably had a game he wanted to forget against the Eagles. And Gibson and Lake and Frawley probably is a key position player. It's not as good as users as um, someone like uh, Johnson. Um, I suppose Suckling's another one that uses the ball quite well, but Burgoyne was the one that I noticed who probably had the more level measured head and made decisions and, and stopping play and switching it and kicking with accuracy that um, he did quite well for them. So he's going to need a nicer press up on him, someone like Maine or you know, Barlow or something, getting up in his face and making sure that he's not switching play and moving the ball well. You know, one of the things I'm wondering, too, is why is Borgoyne under the radar so much? Because he just keeps doing what he's doing, and people every year say that he's getting older and he's seen his best days and all that, but yet he always comes up big in big games. And, you know, he's someone that um, that I have a tremendous amount of respect for as a player and definitely don't underestimate. Yeah, I think any time we can get the likes of Lake Gibson, Stratton, or Frawley kicking the ball out of that back 50 is going to be a win for us, then we can limit the use of... Virtual, uh, Burgoyne and Suckling uh, in that regard. I think the other interesting matchup for us before we get to the all-important midfield, Seppo, is we always tend to have one... If an opposition play team has one, or particularly the second good key forward, Lee Spur tends to do a pretty good job. You'd have to think Ibo would probably take Luke Bruce, and you'd think Lee Spur would go on Cyril um, or Poopolo. But it's that... It's going to be a really massive job for Sutcliffe because he's going to have to either take Puopolo, he doesn't have the strength on, or Cyril, who probably hasn't got the agility on. So it's going to be really crucial that the role Sutcliffe plays down there in that back 50. Yeah, especially if Sutcliffe, if Spur takes Cyril and you get Sutcliffe playing on one of Bruce or Puopolo, I think Puopolo is very good at the ground ball and that could catch Cam out there. And then Bruce is very good overhead where Cam's probably not as good there. So they are sort of a mismatch mismatch in, in both areas, but um, I think it's a big job. You know Spurs going to do his job, and he's been fantastic at this back end of the season, um, holding down that key defensive spot. I think Suckler's going to have to play really well on the combination of those two, or heavy, whoever he rolls off on. Um, and it'd be great. I don't know where, um, you know, we only just saw one game out of him, but this is where I think Brady Gray can come into the side in the future, and there's a spot for him there. So I don't know what the balance is, and they obviously must... Uh, rely on a lot of the other defenders, up, or midfielders up the field to defend and, and make it hard for Puopolo and Cyril and Bruce to certainly um, be the avenue to goal many a times and you just have to watch how easily they fed the ball into them against the Crows, that they, um, they are dangerous if left unchecked. Who's the, uh, who's the other key matchup? We'll know that Sandlands will probably have the sort of edge on the likes of McAvoy and... Hale in terms of the ruck knockouts, but McAvoy showed, I think even in the grand final last year as well, like uh, he was able to uh, go forward and take a few grabs. So it's really probably really critical that Sandlin's sort of makes those two boys accountable, especially if he does go forward. Oh, definitely. I think even the combination of um, 
Griffin going forward. I think Griffin showed him that um, game against, I believe it was the Saints late late in the year or against North as well. A couple of games that Eddie had where Griffin played actually looked okay in the forward line drifting forward and didn't get in Pav's way or Sandlands when he was down there. And he's okay for clunking a mark, which is going to put guys like Brian Lake or Gibson or whoever else is you know dropping back behind the ball or if they decide to play Sean Makers back or forward, it'll be interesting. But... Um, Certainly, I'm um, going to be able to go away to stretching them. Any other key matchups that you like in this one, uh, Gil? Well, I'll tell you what. The prospect of Rioli on anybody is always a concern. And I just think about uh, in Tasmania, and I also think about uh, in that grand final, um, he's so hard to stop. And I think, Seppo, you're right about the mismatches with Sutcliffe that they're going to be really, really challenged to, to step up and to just find some way uh, and I think the thing is, it's going to be an even bigger issue winning the midfield clearances, winning the stoppages. That's going to, I think, really be the key because if you can deny them, get Ross Lyon always talks about supply and demand, and if we can cut off that supply um, to to Bruce and to to Rioli and and to those guys, I think it's got to be a, a definite big win. But Rioli is just so creative and so smart out there. It, it's almost to the point where. Uh, there was an old saying here in the States on ESPN where you can't stop someone, you can only hope to contain them. And that might be the, the best thing to think of with Rioli. You know he's going to have some kind of impact uh, from a free perspective. You hope he doesn't have too large an impact. And when he's not having an impact up forward, Hawthorne always pull him into the centre square and get some touches and get that sort of movement, that fast agility out of the centre square. So you, you know that if there's, the ball does dry up, they're going to throw him into the midfield and... and sort of get him involved. So you're right there. You can only contain him and, and really just hope that there's other mismatches that if he does come out there, that the other guys down, they do a good job defending. Yeah, he did. Right. And I don't think Rioli played in that game last year at Subia Oval either. So that'll be... And I think Paopolo kicked three or four goals in that game. So, yeah, it'll be definitely an interesting, uh, you know, way that, the, you know, in terms of the way that Ross Lyon sets up. So one of the interesting things I noticed at the game, fellas, was when we were talking about that maniacal pressure or that pressure, it just seemed that Fremantle had maybe one or two many guys running towards the ball and Sydney were able just to loop a handball over the top and we didn't have that next player in the chain to sort of either lock down the pressure or put them under pressure and kicking the ball away. And Sydney, particularly with the likes of Hanbury and Kennedy, did it with aplomb. And I'm just concerned if we do that with the Hawks, they're going to be able to get that ball over the top and then use their kicking skills to cut us open a little bit. What did you? Was it noticeable on the TV, or um, or was it uh, not as bad as I seemed to think it was at the game? No, it was definitely noticeable on TV. I think one of the things that that happened was that we didn't have the anticipation of someone being at the next spot where you can anticipate a next handball going. And then also, I don't know if this is just me, but I think that our tackling has just not been as strong as it was earlier in the season, or it just seems to be habitually not as forceful and strong as it needs to be. And it, it reminded me a couple of years ago when Cameron Ling did a little video feature on uh, how the Dockers defend, and it was before the preliminary final against Sydney. And one of the things that the video showed was that one player is trusted to make the tackle and to apply the pressure while moving those other players toward where the ball might be going, which is a lot more effective. And it worked really well against Geelong in the in the qualifying final that year. But one of the things I've noticed, too, and you guys know this as well, is that Hawthorne may be the only team out there that when Frio has played that maniacal pressure, they keep their composure. 
And that's something I'd also like to see Fremantle get a lot better at when we get a taste of our own medicine, as it were, that when we're under a lot of pressure is that our players have the composure to make solid decisions and don't bunch up and they spread out. And, uh, you know, we saw it when we were over handballing in that one quarter against Sydney. So I think that it's funny when we apply the pressure, we're very good at doing that. But we also have to know what to do when it's applied to us and also really have that, uh, that good skill of anticipation. I think it's something that I saw from probably that game with Pav being doubled up. And when we shifted the ball forward, we sort of uh, got it to him, but the ball came out too easily. So we got it in the forward 50 very quick, but we didn't sort of kill the contest, play a stoppage game, reset and get that press up. So it made it very hard for the opposition to get it out. I think that's what we've got to do against Hawthorne because they've got the players. I know that even Gibson and Burgoyne and Birchall and Suckling are all very good at using the ball. And you don't want us to be kicking to a, a two-on-one contest with one of them having the easy out um, without guys right up in his face. So Main on his 150th game, Tabner in the side, gives him probably uh, one of those smaller guys to be able to focus a bit of that forward pressure on. And uh, when the ball's going forward, that we um, we make sure that we're covering it off. And I think when you look at Ballantyne, the way he came back, and with Walters as well, I think we're starting to get that back. It's all about where they're positioned on the ground and how we shift the ball, and if we do lose it, how quickly can we turn on that pressure? Because Hawks, like you said, are very composed and, and very quick at using the footy. So we know that if we, we get a chance to be able to implement with our guys out there, it's going to uh, go a long way to putting that forward press on that we um, saw back in 2013. Yeah. The other uh, interesting one with that as well is there was a talk during the uh, week by Jordan Lewis that they were intimidated with the West Coast crowd and it was an interesting comment from him, you know, particularly when they're coming back over to Domain this week. So you'd have to think, you know, not that Frio probably needed um, any sort of impetus, but it, did, it was a little bit, it was a strange atmosphere at the game against Sydney. It didn't, we started off pretty well and then it sort of, sort of just, can, you know, sort of dragged through to the end. For, you know, I think with the night game and the sort of, you know, with all the chips in the table, so to speak, I think it's, the atmosphere will certainly be different and, uh, particularly after the comments by Lewis as well. Yeah, certainly you want to see the uh, crowds. I suppose they were going through their motions almost and a bit unnerved and uneasy at how close probably the margin was at the end and probably a lot of people sh- shouting and umpiring decisions, like maybe the non-mark for Sandy probably played too much on their uh, minds out there with the fans. But you expect the um, that level of that home prelim we had against Sydney back in 2013 will be back there at this crowd that will be absolutely amped. I think we know what this means now. I think there's probably yeah, a lot more stake rather than that second chance we had in that first one. Now we've got the spotlight. It's a Friday night. There'll be a big build-up, and our fans will make sure that you know the big chants that have been organised through Big Footy and social media about the start of the game is, is hopefully going to make the, the Hawks feel intimidated and, and will bring the, hopefully that same pressure and atmosphere that the Eagles did um, when they smashed them a couple of weeks ago. It'd be great to see uh, the Frio chant go up when the Hawks come out with their song and just drown the whole song out. But, you know, <laughs> it'd be just uh, awesome to see that. And it was interesting to comment as well by Wayne Campbell during the week, Seb, I don't know if you boys read it, about the, uh, there was talk about the umpiring and that sort of stuff. But just the uh, call that, uh, because, you know, the umpiring was on par because Frio get less free kicks than the opposition through the year. So therefore they, get le- and less, they got less free kicks in the final. It was all good, or you know, because the Eagles got more free kicks during the year than, the, and they got more in the final, and that's all good. 
I mean, I've, I've umpired quite a few footy games. As you would, uh, you'd think that you just judge each decision on its merit, and not necessarily, uh, you know, it was just an interesting comment to make. Yeah, there should be no correlation or no sort of targets or KPIs for the amount of free kicks. If if the game is played a certain way, they'll be there, and you don't want want them calling ones that are, and, and the way they put away the whistle, and oh, I was very perplexed with some of the decisions that was going against us, like the Sandy non-mark, and I probably oh, missed yeah. about four or five from last week, and there was a couple of holds that I thought they paid against Tippett and um, maybe Reed early on that I thought probably Zach Clark and Zach Dawson got pinned for, and the commentators didn't make many wrenching in a replay, or there was... A lot there that seemed to, they just call and move on and a bit of, a bit of frustration shown by the Freo players, but um, it just probably didn't touch on it, but our umpires for this game are Dugleish, Rosebury and Stevic with the emergency Scott Jeffries. So um, they're probably not as bad. I know um, one of them, I can't remember if it's Stevic or Dugleish, it's caused a couple of problems in the past, but um, yeah, it will be interesting just to see how it's officiated and Probably the um, most contentious calls from that Hawks-Eagles uh, games are the deliberate out-of-bounds and, and how easily they call and how much the crowd gets involved in the decisions and puts pressure on. Well, I'll tell you what, I was just very happy not to see the name Fisher listed in the, uh, <laughs> in the, umpire, in the umpiring right there. But uh, it, it's funny because there's a parallel, I think, to over here with the NBA with uh, the officials just sort of letting players play and not calling as many fouls or going the other direction and deciding they're going to over-officiate and, and call all that stuff. But I, I agree with you about the, Seppo, about the non-mark for Sandy. I couldn't believe that happened. And, and, and uh, Ross Lyon was right in saying that that really may have altered the momentum at that point because that would have really put the issue out of reach then if Sandy converts after he marks. And that was a shocker that he was not paid that mark. So, you know, you just hope that, that uh, in a game as big as this one, that a few decisions or one decision is not going to affect uh, the outcome. But we did see something like that when, um, when, uh, when, we, didn't see, when we didn't see that, that ping for holding the ball in the Richmond game. And that would have dramatically changed the momentum right there. So you hope nothing like that happens. Oh, definitely. And I think that's the one thing that got me, even though we got the win from that game, just the fact that we could have you know, been 25-point winners and say if Sandy had kicked that with five minutes to go or whatever it was left on the clock, I think I would have felt a lot happier walking for that game. But just the way that game and probably some of those decisions finished off probably uh, left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. And I remember even watching one where Ballantyne picked up the ball, ran across the, the face of goals, and I think it was Shaw or... Runny or someone sort of fell into his back and he thought yeah. he was going to get a free kick for in the back and he pushed the ball away towards the umpire that was coming in. And then the umpire called it a throw or a legal disposal and everyone looked so puzzled. I'm like, well, how could you call that? He was expecting a push in the back. He was basically laying on top of him, flattened, and they've been calling those mostly this year. But it's very funny how they can uh, <laughs> call those decisions and you look at the um, player's reaction if they just move on you go fair enough there was something there but when there's not it's um yeah certainly gets a cut some people's goats <laughs> yeah. well hopefully the umpires have no say in the game and uh, the best team wins on the night the other what do you the critical the, probably the most critical aspect of any of these games these days is the stoppages and clearances how do you think we got powered up reasonably well i thought in the tasmanian game even though sandy was dominant they were just able to particularly move our guys off the ball and read uh, what they're going to do. And no doubt they'll uh, be looking to shark 
Sandy's taps again on the weekend. What do you think Frio have to do differently in the way that they set up in their centre clearances? In particular, oh. the, the stoppages around the ground, they're still quite strong at and kicking goals from those, but mainly in those centre square clearances. Well, I think something I think we... we guarantee is we're going to win the hitouts. It's one stat we've probably been most dominant for the year, and no matter who Sandy and Clark and Griffin have come up against, is we're going to get first use of the ball. It's what we do with that, where it goes, and where the players are positioned, and do they let the um, get the guys get sucked in and the Hawks play on the outside and trap them in, or are they going to vary it up? Because there were stages this year that Sanderlands was just feeding it on a platter to Fife, Mundy and Neil and all different methods with a short one with a quick handball out the back or the, the sort of loop or the backhand that goes out the pack to Fife running on. Um, everyone's probably had that good passage of play where you know the chemistry is there between the Ruckman and those midfielders streaming out. You just hope that the variety is there that keeps the Hawks second-guessing. You know, one of the things that, that Hawthorne did that was really effective in Tasmania was they applied so much congestion to the stoppages and you got it in that whole endless rolling mall um, that we've that we've criticized as being really ugly. But that worked for Hawthorne. We have to find some way to counter that because when when just in the clinches, when guys can't get free, they can't spread. That's something that uh, I think Hawthorne really used well to frustrate us. So there has to be some kind of countermeasure to that. Yeah. Any other um, interesting matchups? Do you have to think Liam Shields may go to Lockie Neal and try and lock him in close, or do you think? Um, they'll put Liam Shields and try and lock him down on another one of our midfielders. I think when you look at the composition of the centre square bounces, if they're going to have Hodge, Lewis and Sam Mitchell all in the midfield, you think opposing him would be a combination of Mundy, Neil and Fife, which is fantastic. That's like two sets of A-grade midfielders really going head-to-head against each other. So there will be times probably around the grounds where you get Shield in there, or like I said, Cyril rotating through, like we have Subin and some others. But it will be um, interesting just to match up those three with, you know, Hodge maybe going to Fife, and then you've got probably Neil and Mitchell maybe with Lewis taking Monday. So any combination of those you'll probably get to see in the centre square, and I'm not sure of the, the stats, but that combination of those three is probably our most used for the whole year. Yeah. The other interesting one... Uh, boys, for me, and I know I talk about it quite a bit, is when you look at the bottom six players versus the other team and looking at the side Hawthorne have, I, looking at what we've got out there at the moment, I would think that their bottom six would probably shade some of our players in terms of, not all of them, but certainly in some of them, you know, in terms of the 18. Uh, I think for us it's going to be how well our guys who tend to be, we know what we're going to get from the likes of Monday probably even five, those sort of guys. But I think it's going to be the likes of what Griffin, DeBoer, Subin, Mazungu, Sutcliffe. I think it's what those guys bring to the table tomorrow night. And maybe even to a lesser degree, Sheridan with his drive from half back. But I think what those guys bring tomorrow night will be the uh, will be the massive um, you know, decision for us. Mm. Any thoughts on... Uh, it usually it usually seems to work that way. It really it really does. But one of the things that we haven't really talked much about, except what you alluded to it a second ago, is the impact our smalls might have because that's one that's a really potent weapon for us, and we haven't had uh, Ballantyne and Walters playing together for so much of the season. And you know we, they combined for six goals last week together, and we all know what our record is when Ballantyne kicks at least three. And um, you know we spent a lot of time talking about our talls and that kind of structure with tabs and. 
with um, and uh, and Pav. Uh, but you know, we could have a real, real serious advantage there with our smalls. And I think uh, you're right, Stephen was talking about Tab's ability to bring it to ground and his ability to be a foil for Pav. That we're probably going to go into this with the strongest forward structure we've had in quite a long time. Definitely, and I think that's one thing we haven't really touched on is how effective. Ballantyne and Walters are when they're out there together because we've probably had moments now. Ballantyne, everyone's he's a forgotten man, the um, missing that much of footy, but the impact he had coming straight back, and I know that's the shoulder, and he can keep up his fitness, and certainly the way he played, it didn't look like he he missed anything. So um, having those two out there and just running onto a, a ball kicked over um, the Hawthorne defenders' heads is um, going to be something exciting. And I just think with the positions we play them in, you, you just saw how deadly Walters was. Um, you know, you give him a stiff at goal and anywhere inside 50, you know that left boot's going to sort of send it goalwards. Um, and I think when Ballantyne's on form at home, and this is the best thing about it, we're playing in front of our home ground. And I know this is um, probably a running joke with Ballantyne. He seems to forget his boots whenever he goes away, but... He's just killer at home, and you know he's always good for a couple of goals. And what he might do to fire up the other, um, you know, players around him. You know, if he gets an early goal, he's um, certainly a pocket rocket live wire. Get the crowd involved. Um, you know, it can really open it up, and I think that's going to make the Hawks um, probably have to be a bit more accountable down back. And I think if those two, at least one of them, has to be on for us to be any chance to win this game. All right. Any other points you want to bring up, fellas, before we sort of finish it up for the night? Yeah, just one one real quick thing. You know, when people are talking about um, the intimidation factor, Hawthorne coming into our home soil and all that, I'll tell you what, I'm looking for the crowd really to do more inspiring of our players than to intimidate the opposition because, frankly, I just don't think that a team that's won back-to-back premierships and has been battle-tested and all that the last several years, I don't, I don't really count on them being intimidated by any environment. But I think that our fans have the ability to really inspire the team beyond anything that uh, that uh, that our players can imagine. And I was really fortunate to be part of that and to see that over a couple of months ago when I went to the Collingwood match. It was great to see that and be a part of it. And I remember how loud it got during the uh, during the preliminary final a couple of years ago in, against Sydney. And uh, so I'm hoping the crowd will really lift because I think um, you know rising tide lifts all boats, and hopefully that'll happen with us. Mm. Yeah. All right, so down to the more important things, guys. What's the uh, tips going to be for this one? Well, I'm amazed at actually just looking at the uh, the odds for this game. That you know, for a side that's had the week off um, with Fremantle, and we've got the home ground advantage. We finished on top of the ladder for the season, and you know, Hawks have probably um, got served up rightly by the uh, the Eagles, and then sort of bounced back against the Crows. But I can't believe that the Hawks are actually going to these favourites, and they're not I, just I think close favourites either. Stefan, a good like a really solid dollar sixty-five to about two thirty favorite as well. It's it's amazing when you think about it. And I think everyone's probably jumping on Hawks' recent form. I think everyone forgets um, how much you know we've we've got this season. I think we've had a calculated, you know, rested, measured everything. Probably once we secure that top spot, is just leading up until this event. And I'm really surprised we're not. It's more of a closer fifty-fifty game. But um, the the factors. It's just amazing that Hawks could be considered. I know you said before you've got to treat them as um, you know dual, the sort of back-to-back premiers, but I think they've shown signs they are beatable. And I think Freo playing at the best, everything's been leading up to this moment. I think the crowd behind them, everything going our way. I think we're going to get the win, and it's going to be on the back of a, a fantastic fast start. 
And I think there's enough in this team to get the win and still have enough petrol tickets in the bank to uh, get us through to the um, the grand final and perform well, be it whoever we play out of the Eagles and, and North. Yeah, uh, I'm surprised that the Martin, like, what it is. And, and you know, you've only got to think two weeks ago, Stepo, the Eagles are premiership favourites. Hawthorne beat really what you could consider to be a lacklustre Adelaide last week. And you knew they were going to bounce back. And now all of a sudden the Hawks are premiership favourites. And I think for us this is probably the best way that we could... The, the results so far have probably been... I mean, if Adelaide won last week, it would have been more ideal for us, no question. But the reality is I think... If Hawthorne beat West Coast the first week and had a week off and had the home pre prelim against North Melbourne, and we would have had a derby prelim, uh, I really think either team would have struggled to beat Hawthorne if they had that pathway. Where I think this way, if we do get through, I think it's certainly uh, the best possible result for us in that regard. And the other crazy stat I heard today was, I don't know if it's since AFL's formed or '91 or whatever it is, but. No team has won an interstate prelim out of seven tries. So the home advantage in the week off is just that big. Um, I suppose it's quite rare for a good side like to Hawks to go onto the other side of the draw and have to play you know, four games in a row to win the flag. But I think it's just massive this week off, and I just can't believe that the, um, the Hawks are that... that much in with a chance. I think everyone will... Uh, everyone, at least in Melbourne here, that's been asking me all week, you know, do you really think you're a chance? You know, the Hawks are so good. I think you're going to get a... a I was quietly confident. I, I never went out and said we we're going to smash the Hawks, but I was just saying we're, I'm quietly confident that everything we've been doing is just going to show what this year has been about. Yeah, and they've had three games in... in well, I suppose if you classify the Tasmania game as an interstate one, though, Seppo, really they've had... They've been probably on the road like a West Australian team. They were Tassie, then they were... An, in Melbourne, then they're at Perth, then they're at Melbourne, now they're in Perth again. So it's going to be a little bit different from them, apart from having their usual sort of cushy six or seven games a row at the G sort of thing. So it's going and to they be... had problems with the plane, some of the players getting across with a delayed flight and sitting on the plane or tarmac for four or five hours coming across. So they exactly haven't had it smooth travelling in terms of uh, leading up into this moment for the Hawks. No. So well, you... I didn't tell you guys that I paid off somebody a version of Australia to pull that off. <laughs> Well, that's all right, Gil. The, uh, it's a good thing the US dollar is going as well as it is against our currency at the moment. So, cost well, I'll tell you what, every every little bit helps. But um, it, it's it's funny though when you guys are talking about uh, Tasmania being interstate in an interstate game. For us, I think it's an interplanetary game. We never seem to be ourselves down there, and the only time we've ever won down there was uh, was Siren Gate. But um, you know, as, as as far as what what's going on here, I do see. I do see Friel winning this game, not by a big margin. I think we're going to do just enough. Um, I even have a crazy prediction on what I think the final score will be. I see us winning this one 11-7 to 10. Uh, actually, wait a second. No, 11-7 to 9-8, 73 to 62. I'm terrible at math, but hopefully that adds up. Um, but, I, you know, I just see us, I see us doing again just enough. I just I think that we're going to have to embrace and accept the fact that maybe all that form that we had of, the, of those fast, explosive starts, they may, they may not be coming back, and we might have to just get used to doing just enough to get by because it's more a defensive-minded side anyway. And I still think that um, that the biggest actions are going to come from uh, defensive acts and not from, from offensive acts. But I think, uh, I think, Seppo, you're right about having the week off. 
Uh, I really, though, don't buy what Mark Harvey was saying about Hawthorne looking old and looking wounded. And I, I hope that's not going to be material that Hawthorne are going to use to pump themselves up. Um, but you guys know as well as I do that as much as we love the game, it's still got that strong Victorian bias. So I'm not surprised at all to see the Hawks favored in this one, uh, even as much as they are. And uh, I think bottom line is if we want that respect and if we want that uh, that acknowledgement of our strength, what we have to do is go out and win a flag. And hopefully this is the season that's going to happen. Yeah, I think Freo will get up, but I think it's going to be very, very close. Um, and I think the key for us, even though you just mentioned it, Gil, I think the key for us is that first quarter. If we can come out and, you know, I know the Kingy loves to call it the blast or you can call it whatever you like, but if we get out to a, and a good start and get off to a reasonably... Uh, you know, keep four or five in the first quarter and limit them, I think it'll go a long way to winning the game. I think if Hawthorne get in front by any sort of margin greater than two to three goals, I think it'll be very, very hard for us to peg back. So for us, being in front is going to be crucial. And although if you look at the game at Subi last year, there were times when we were down three goals in that one and, and we fought back. And I think, you know, it's really interesting when we think about what's built character this year uh, for the Dockers and, and the, the match that I really look to as being the one that uh, only not only do I think was the most exciting one of the year, but really was the be- best character-building one, was the game at the MCG against Richmond, where we didn't really get off to a good start at all, where we trailed for most of that match, and then finally stole it in the last couple of minutes. And um, I think that told us a lot about the character of the team and, and the ability to uh, to persist and to persevere when, when the odds are against us, when the score is against us and then to, to really make good decisions and be able to stand up under pressure. Yeah. All right, Seppo, what, did we get a points margin off you in the end, mate? Oh, I'm going to go with a straight 10 points. All right. I'll go. Well, I, I can't believe it. I'm being more generous. I'm, I'm going with 11, and you're giving him 10? <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I'll go. I'll, I'll hopefully be a little bit less uh, stressed for me at the game, and I'll go for 17. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and the other good thing about going to the game is that I won't have to listen to the commentary either. That was the other day I watched it. It was bloody annoying, I have to say. So <laughs> the fact that we won't have to do with that will be good as well. So. Well, you know, I want to know this. When did Dwayne Russell become our official commentator? I mean, I can't remember a single game this year when he wasn't commentating. Hmm. Well, maybe that's why he got commentator of the year, uh, <laughs> Gil. <laughs> he, he, are you serious? He got named commentator of the year? Yeah. The other day, oh. in, in the um, AFL Media Awards, he was named the commentator of the year. He certainly he has improved. Been... He used to be shocking early on. I haven't mind Dwayne Russell too much. I think there's a lot of others that probably get my sort of uh, sort of frustrations with some of the calls and the way it goes. So I think Basil Zemplis has been one that I haven't uh, enjoyed listening to commentate <laughs> our games this year. So No, he's um, terrible. Shit house. <laughs> I have to admit, you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but maybe maybe it's a U.S. thing from, from watching Dick Vitale do college basketball, but I always love it when BT calls a game. I do. I have to admit. That's my guilty pleasure. Oh, you're on the right. <laughs> I don't mind him. I must admit, I don't mind him in small doses either, Gil. But um, just before we do finish off, though, boys, I think it would be remiss of us not to acknowledge our two All-Australians for the year, um, and in particular, uh, David Mundy, who's got his first gig in the interchange, and... Um, I thought Ibo was very stiff this year not to get a gig either, but uh, congratulations to both Fifey and uh, Mundy getting an All-Australian gig. Yeah, and I think it's a, a bit, well, it's a shame to see that they um, didn't squeeze Sandlands into that top 40 
um, squad. I think he'd probably done enough to probably be on the stats, be in there as a second ruck behind Goldstein. I think Goldstein showed this year, and he rucked a lot by himself, even though Sandlands had beaten Nat Nui and Goldstein the times they went head-to-head. I think overall, the stats-wise, um, Goldie done enough um, over the whole year. Um, but it's fantastic to see Fife, uh, even after having probably a second part of the year. I know they the short memories of the All-Australian selectors. They always seem to pick up the latest last few uh, stretch after the bye, but um, great to see Fife acknowledged. And let's just hope we can uh, maybe back it up with a Brownlow as well. I, w- I love the fact that uh, the Garrick Ibbotson uh, got in the top 40 and also Lockie Neal getting into the top 40. And I was hoping really for Lockie Neal to get into the top 22. But, Seppo, I'm wondering about, about Aaron Sandlins. Do you think it's a case of the media sort of taking Sandy for granted and taking for granted the fact that he's going to win a lot of the hitouts over other opponents and just not really acknowledging his other work? Well, I suppose he's won it, what, four times already. So maybe they just said, well, let's give it to someone else. Or, or maybe it's a square up. Leaving um, Nat Nui out of it after last year putting him in, they decided that he he probably didn't need to be in there. So um, I think that it's a bit underrated, the work he's done all year, um, especially consider how old he is and everyone sort of was writing off saying he's, he's passed it. But the fact that he signed on for next year as well, it, it just showed that you know our midfield and, and even position we are on the ladder, wouldn't we wouldn't be there without him sort of dishing out to our midfielders all year. I just hope he's got a free kick. <laughs> hey, you know, one one thing, guys, not to drag this on forever, but, you know, one thing that we also didn't talk about, which is kind of on a sad note, um, have we seen the last of Luke McFarlane? Maybe. Yeah. I think it's going to be very hard. And the fact that Silvani was named emergency, if we win this game and go into the grand final, it probably we might go in unchanged or maybe Silvani might come in depending on how the Eagles are, are going. Um, but, but, yeah, you're right. It's, it's a sad note. I can't see him going on next year, but maybe maybe he's done. You'd yeah, to, yeah we really may have seen him play his last game as, as a Fremantle docker. Yeah, you'd love to see him play the last game in uniform. And I think if he if he's good enough, he has the wood on, like, you know, and we're projecting it a little bit far, but uh, let's just hope he can get over that calf injury. Um he hasn't trained for weeks, and by all reports, that he's um, yeah, he hasn't hit the track too much over the last few. So, yeah. you know, he did get pulled out for the game two weeks ago, but it looked like he was way off, and, and he still hasn't done too much up until now. So, it'll take yeah. some miracle, I think, for him to to get up from here on for the next game. But I think you, you know, mean, it's it, it's a cruel it's a cruel game and a cruel injury because guys remember for the last three years he said these issues late in the season, and mm. this year there were all these attempts to manage him. And you know, one thing that we're not talking about that's that's I think really important here. Is I think it kind of magnifies when uh, Alex Silvani and Zach Dawson got themselves suspended because that could really loom large because that would have given um, a chance to manage McFarlane even more when instead of having to press him into action. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. Uh, you know, frustrating end of the season so far. Let's hope the season goes for another week after this. But uh, let's we'll talk just... about list managements in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, after the the main prize is off our eyes. Yeah. All right, fellas, thanks for joining us this week. We'll wrap it up there, and and, uh, let's hope we all can get to catch up next week in Melbourne, and uh, we'll see if we can maybe have another sort of wind-up or bit of a show at the uh, Great Northern as well, Seppo. Oh, the second we win the uh, the game tomorrow night, I'll be uh, booking the venue for next Friday night for a big uh, pre-grand final celebration. So hopefully everyone, if you're listening now, keep keep an eye out for the board, and I'll be uh, onto it straight away. So keep your ear to the ground. All right. All right. right. 
And thanks, Gil, for joining us all the way from 3 o'clock in the morning over there in L.A. No worries. All right, and we'll see you guys at the ground, hopefully, for some of you, and make sure you're loud and proud and uh, give, uh, you know, certainly try and intimidate those Hawks as much as possible, and let's hope we can celebrate a home prelim with the appropriate win and uh, get to go to play for the big prize next week. That's it for this week, and thanks for joining us. Bye for now.